Well, church, today we come to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. These passages of Scripture are some of the most discussed passages in the entire Bible. If you're a guest with us today, I just want to let you know that we're journeying through uh, the letter to the church in Philippi. And um, we began in January, and we're just starting chapter 2 here in March. And we're just taking our time to really dig deep and, and understand this epistle of joy that Paul wrote. And we get to this passage of Scripture today in Philippians chapter 2, which is the centerpiece of the entire letter. This is, this is like the pinnacle, you know. Paul gets and writes this passage of Scripture. He, he, he quotes uh, an old ancient hymn called the Carmen Christi. This passage is deeply, deeply theological. It's very Christological. It talks about anthropology, about who we are as people. The scope and magnitude of this message is so big that it'll take a few weeks to get and move through this passage of Scripture. And so, may you put a bookmark here, because we're going to come back to it. But if you have your Bibles with you, please open it to Philippians chapter 2. And in your outline, um, the notes say Philippians chapter 1. And that's my fault, and I apologize for that. I wrote that out and, and had a typographical error. So, just put a 2 over the 1, and you'll find your way beautifully. I want you to know that um, sometimes when I walk through on Sunday morning as I'm coming in, people will tap me on the shoulder and they'll say, Pastor, I've been praying for you. And um, I want you to know that Wanda said, said that to me today. And I want you to know that if you do that, I am deeply grateful. For times like today, when we come to this passage of Scripture that is so big, the gravity of this passage... Obviously, we're not going to complete it in one sermon. There's so much material here, so much to understand before I even utter a word. And your prayers help me through this and, and help me to prepare well. And so my prayer today is that what you hear is truly a message from the Lord. So I want to say thank you for praying for me. I covet your prayers, especially as we work through texts like we have today. I want to make sure that we understand Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, in the context for it was written. You can can read that passage of Scripture. It'll speak powerfully and loudly. But when you begin from the beginning of the book, or for the chapter, we get a a beautiful picture of what Paul is writing. And so, if you you have your Bibles open, we're going to read from verse 1 in Philippians chapter 2. And... uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, begins with, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of each other. And now here comes our passage today. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset 
as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is God's word for us today. Wow. As I, as I share this passage of Scripture with you in the context for it was written, I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul was addressing an issue that the church there in Philippi was dealing with. This issue of, of division and disunity in the church. Now, from the very beginning, you know that the Apostle Paul loves, loves, loves this church in Philippi. This letter is unlike any of the other uh, epistles that he writes to all the other churches. There's a deep connection with the Apostle Paul to this church in Philippi. And when you love something so much, when you love someone so much, all you want is the best for them. And that's what Paul wants for this church. And so, being that he only wants the best for him, for, for that church, he has to bring up this issue of division and deal with it so that they can experience the fullness of what it is that God would have for them. And already good things are happening in the life of the church. We know this reading from verse 1 where he says, all the, those if statements we talked about last Sunday, right? Those if statements are really since statements. It's not if these things happen, but since they happen, then we should live this way. And here the Apostle Paul addresses this important issue of, of division in the church because even those who lead the church, to help to lead the church, they, they were divided and he's called then to address this issue. And the Apostle Paul begins chapter 2 by reminding the church in Philippi about their relationship with God. If you have any encouragement, if any comfort, if any connection or tenderness or compassion, that, that if, it's a, it's a literary tool to highlight the, the reality of it. It's since, since you've experienced all these things, then he says, be like-minded. Be one in spirit. Having the same love. It's the Apostle Paul's call to unity in the church. And that was the heart of last week's sermon that I shared with you last week. Then we begin verse 5. We pick up right there. And in verse 5, the Apostle Paul continues this message. And you know what he does here? He pinpoints the battleground for division and disunity in the church. He says, this is where it happens right here. In relationships. Right? In your relationship with one another. He says, the division, where, where do you find division? Is it by yourself? <laughs> no. It's when, 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 you, when you're in, in connection with someone or in, in a community just like this or the church in Philippi. That's the breeding ground. That's the battleground for division and disunity. But along with the understanding that relationships are the battleground for disunity and, and division, that same ground, 
That same ground is the fertile ground for every good thing that happens in relationships. Right? Relationships are, are, are the heartbeat uh, and community is the heartbeat of every good thing that can happen for the life of the church. If the church is going to be healthy and the church is going to thrive, it has to be because the relationships that we have with God and with one another are healthy and we're unified in that way. If the church is not going to thrive, and, and on the other end of the spectrum, if the church is, is hurting and the church is struggling, it's because there's division and disunity in our relationships with one another and with God. Relationships are the, where the rubber meets the road for Paul in this uh, passage of Scripture right here. And, and no matter whether we're in unity and harmony with one another, or if we're in division and disunity with one another, it doesn't matter. We reflect God nonetheless. Because that's what the church does. And if our church is not unified, and if our church is broken, that's what we will reflect out to the world. But when the church is healthy, and when the church is unified, and when the church is living its best life, that is what we reflect to the world. And so, church, I want you to know that what Paul is calling for is for the church in Philippi and for us today to be the beautiful reflection of who God would have us to be. So, the Apostle Paul gives the church in Philippi the recipe for great relationships right here. The recipe for the great relationships that the Apostle Paul desires for the church to experience and have, to reflect out into the world, is this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. That, church, is the key to great relationships in your life and in this church. To have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And what the Apostle Paul was trying to do was he was trying to avoid this problem that the Jewish, the Jewish synagogue had of an us and them mentality. Because the people there that made up the church in Philippi were, were the Jews that were living in Philippi, but they also had some people there that were, were the locals there. But if you came from a religious background, especially if you came from Judaism, the Jewish template was with the Pharisees and with the people. And in that setting, there was no unity. You see, the Pharisees, they kept the law. The Jews that came to the synagogue, they broke the law. And so the Pharisees were the keepers of the law, pointing out to the people who broke the law. One side against the other. And the Apostle Paul knew that they needed a new way forward of and a new way of thinking about this, this relationship that you have in the life of the body. If we continue to have an us and them mentality, we will never have the mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And so Paul, he shares this new way of thinking, of having the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus in how we deal with the relationships that we have 
with one another, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And so he gives us an example to follow. In the New Testament, in the, in the, uh, the NIV, I'm sorry, in the NIV, the old version before 1984, I believe that's the date, I, mem- I memorized this passage of Scripture because it was something that was so powerful and meaningful to me. And in the old version, it said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. How many of you memorized this passage of Scripture that way? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, right, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And when you read the the New Testament or the NIV today, there's a change in the wording. Today, it's translated as mindset. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. The mind, the mindset we have It goes beyond the attitude that we have. Our mindset governs who we are. Our mindset is our conviction of how we live. And our mindset as the conviction of how we live helps us to live out the actions that we have in our minds. And so for every single believer in Jesus Christ, Paul calls us to have this mindset as Jesus. Which is really, think about this, the goal of every believer, every Christian, every single person in here today, I want you to know, that is the call for our lives, is to surrender our own mindset, what is it that that you think is right, and take on the mindset of Jesus. Because one of the goals, in fact, the goal of our faith is for our lives to look more and more like Jesus. Can I ask you a question? In your everyday walk, whether, whether you just accepted Jesus or you've known Jesus all your life and, and, and you're a little bit older like me, <laughs> how do you know that you're growing in your faith? What, what, what are the, the signs that show you that you're on the right path and you're growing in your faith? One of the sure, telltale signs that you're on the right path and you're growing in your faith is when your life looks more and more like Jesus' life every day. Right? Every day that goes by, you're, you're conforming, your language is changing, your life is changing, your actions are changing, your thoughts are changing, your desires are changing, and it's all changing to becoming more and more like Jesus every day. We call that in the church Christ-likeness. And the Apostle Paul writes about this in all his other letters, but right here in Philippians he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. He's calling all believers to be like Jesus. And where did this come from, this teaching to be like Jesus? It came from Jesus himself. When In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So that... Um, 
And so you must love one another, right? A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. What Jesus does is he raises the bar because it used to say, love one another as you love yourself. But Jesus says, whoa, that's good. I want to raise it up. I want you to love others the way I have loved you. Wow. That's... That's profound, church. He's calling us to be more like Him. That's where this call comes from. Jesus says, love uh, like I have loved you. And dare I say this. I'm going to move over this way because there's a biblical theologian here. My professor in college for New Testament. And And I pray that I'm not treading on ground that is not right. That's why I ask you to pray for me. This is big stuff right here. But dare I say that when Jesus calls us to love as He loves, that this is an example of love that is perfect. Perfect love. We use that language in our church, but what does it mean? To, to love perfectly. When we talk about perfection, we're walking into some dicey areas, right? Because we have to understand perfection correctly. Most people think that the word perfection is very hard to find in this world. A perfect diamond. So, you know, you can't find one. Something that's completely, utterly flawless is what we consider perfection. Those of you who, who love baseball know that you can actually throw a perfect game, right? A perfect game. And, and the way you, a pitcher throws a perfect game is that not a single base uh, person who comes to the, the home plate gets to any base. They don't touch any base beyond home plate. And if a pitcher can do that, they've thrown a perfect game. In the millions of baseball games that happened since the baseball began till today. I know they're on strike. They're not anymore? Oh, they finished their strike, but they haven't played any games yet. (laughs) I was kind of (laughs) right. How many baseball fans we have in, in the church? A couple. Good. I see your hand. In the span of the beginning of baseball till today, right? Thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably not millions, but definitely thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of baseball games have been played. How many perfect games have been thrown? Anybody know? Nobody? Anybody want to guess? Not 27. Not 35. 23. Somebody just Googled it. <laughs> 20, only 23 of the hundreds of thousands of games that have been played, there was only 23 perfect games that have been thrown. Anybody know who threw the last perfect game? Felix Hernandez threw it in October, uh, August 15th, 2012. 2012, right? People have thrown no hitters, but that's not a perfect game. That's so rare. I want you to know 
that kind of perfection is not what we're talking about when it comes to perfect love. We're not talking about love that is flawless. We're looking at perfection maybe in a different way. And, and the way that I would like for us to look at perfection today is being perfect in its purpose. Everything that's created has a purpose. And when it is used precisely for why it was created, we say that that was perfect for the job. And that there are some things in this world that were created that can be used for many Many, many different things. I'm going to give you an example today of something that God created that is used in many, many, many different ways. Here's, here's a butter knife. And the butter knife is used perfectly when we can dip some butter and, and spread it on this piece of bread. And when I use it that way, this is made perfectly. It's used perfectly for how it was created. But we all know that this is the most amazing thing God created in this world, right? <laughs> because there's so many different uses for, for this. Watch this. Um, how many of you ever did this? And we use it to open cans. Excuse me while I partake. How about how, about, how many of you ever done this? We, we use this as a mirror. Anybody ever, when a song comes on, when you're watching TV, sing along, you know, as a microphone? I know nobody has done this, but I, I sometimes go, ooh. <laughs> it's a great back scratcher. This beautiful creation can be used in so many different ways. But when I get a piece of bread, and I get some peanut butter, and I get some jelly, oh, my goodness. It is used perfectly for why it was created. Excuse me. <laughs> I can't talk with bread in my mouth. I just wanted to give you a, a fun illustration of what perfection looks like that is not flawless, but that it, it, is, it is perfect in purpose. Perfect love can be seen Beautifully, when its purpose is perfected, is perfected. Not flawless, but perfect in purpose. To love the same way Jesus loved us. Or maybe better said, to, to, to love the way we were created to love. Just like this was created for a purpose. God created us with a purpose. And that purpose was to express love. We all know that God created us in His own image. And we also know that God created Adam and Eve to care for creation. And when God created Adam and Eve to care for creation, their job was to reflect God's character into creation. And the greatest character of God is love. And so Adam and Eve, they were made to reflect God's love into creation. But when we go back to Genesis, at the very beginning, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. 
And instead of reflecting his love, they turned humanity's reflection, uh, they turned humanity's affection away from God and towards themselves. When they chose to disobey God. And so, we don't reflect God's character very well anymore. We don't reflect God's character of love. But, more than anything, because of what happened in the garden, people want the attributes of God for themselves. And that is the power that God has. Instead of, instead of wanting God's love to reflect it into creation, Adam and Eve reached up for another attribute of God to have as their own, God's power. And since the beginning, instead of seeking God's love to reflect, people have sought God's power to own. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Here's the story of how it happened. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from... We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit. You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That's the part. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. And since Genesis chapter 3, humanity has fallen into the, into the temptation for wanting to be like God, having power that way. We see this is, this is the oldest trick in the book. We, we, we see this happening in Matthew chapter 4. When, when Jesus comes out of the desert from 40 days of fasting, and what does is, what is the devil tempt Jesus with? If you guys think that the devil tempted Jesus to turn, bread, uh, turn a stone into bread, yes, he did, but that's not the issue. The issue is power. The oldest trick, he went back to the oldest trick in the book. If you are the Son of God. There we go. The if statements again, right? He already knows this is true. But if you are the Son of God, show your power. Let me see it. Turn the stone into bread. If, if you are. If you are the Son of God. Jump down from there. And you know what it says? Angels will come and catch you. If you are the Son of God. He already knows it's true. And Jesus said no every single time. And when we, when we look at what the devil tempts people with, we understand this contrast here in Philippians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul shows us the difference between Jesus and Adam. The Apostle Paul gives us a real example of what a new mindset, the mindset of Jesus, is and how that impacts the relationships we have with God and with one another. So, as we continue to look deeper into Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, who, Jesus, 
being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Church, this is the example of perfect love. A love that fulfills its purpose. And this is a far cry from what Adam and Eve did in, in, in the garden. And I want you to remember with me that you and I are like Adam and Eve in so many ways and that we're created in the image of God. We're called to care for God's creation. And we're also called to reflect the character of God into this world. And so, can I say today, looking at Philippians and back into Genesis, don't fall for the temptation, the oldest trick in the book, to grasp for more power and try to be like God. That's not the way forward. In every relationship, the one who exerts the most power shows the least amount of love every time. The more people, have you ever noticed this? The more people try to be like God, the less we become like people that God created us to be. Reaching for power to try to be like God it fractures our relationship with God. And when our relationship with God is not right, it impacts the relationships that we have with one another. And the result of the fall, as a result of the fall, human nature has a desire to be like God in the worst way. Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they're calling for a change of our mindset so that we can be like Jesus in the best possible way. It begins with the surrendering to God of ourselves and our desire to be like Him in power and taking on a new mindset so that we can be more like Jesus in humility and in service. Submitting ourselves to God's will. Submitting our desires and our human interest so that we can live out the interest of God in our lives. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. This is the fertile ground of relationships where it can go well and good. Or it can turn terribly bad. This one another. This relationship. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Wow. May we, Mission Church, may we live into this beautiful call of God that He has for each of us. Not to do our own thing 
and try to be God for ourselves to determine who we are and what we are to do, but instead surrender all of that at the foot of the cross to who Jesus would have us to be, who even though he was in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. What an example for us to follow. As we finish, as we close up today, as I was preparing, I said, how do we end this, Lord? And, and I want to end it with a call to unity in relationships that we have here in the church. And in an act of unity, and, and I hope you don't feel like this is uncomfortable for you, but would you, would you just kind of reach out your hand to hold the hand of the person either beside you or in front of you or behind you? I, I think that's a beautiful sign of unity to say, you're with me and I am with you. And, and, and if it is uncomfortable, then I, I get it, you know. Hold, hold hands in your heart. And I, and I want us to pray and I want to invite the worship team to come up here. And my prayer for us today is that we would be open to having the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus in the relationships that we have with one another. Not reaching for more, but in humble service to one another. Would you bow your heads and join me in a prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for this amazing, amazing passage of scripture that we're just scratching the surface on today. What a beautiful call you've given us, Lord God. That in our relationships with one another, that we are to have the same mindset as that of Jesus. And Jesus said, when you love, love others the way I have loved you. That's the mindset that we can have, Lord God. And I pray that into our church, that our thoughts would be about who your son is and how he lived his life and the call that he gave to each of us, Lord God, to surrender our own desires to you, to surrender our will to you. And then, Lord God, that you would grant us our need to be more like Jesus today and that we would grow in that tomorrow and that when we look back on our lives, Lord God, we would see a pattern growing that every day that goes by, Lord God, we're becoming more and more like your son Jesus till we can learn how to love the way Jesus loved us and to live out who we were created to be and to love perfectly and purpose. Lord, I want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. And I want to, I want, I pray, Lord God, that, that we know the peace of your presence. That, that Jesus would be in our mind, 
in our hearts and on our lips every day. God, help us. Help us to be more like your son. And today, if, if, if hearts are moving, and if you're working in us, Lord God, may we take this opportunity and as we sing this song to confess. Forgive us, Lord, in this time of Lent for trying to be like you, for taking on more power, Lord God, than, than, than you want us to have. And instead, Lord God, humbly surrender our hearts and lives to you today. Help us to be more like your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.